This is the London Live Podcast. Listen live weekdays from 1 to 3 on 980 CFPL. When we look at case counts in this area and when we look at the battle that we're still in with COVID-19, we're still stuck in it and we're still seeing big numbers. Yesterday, Matthew Trevithick put something interesting together in our newsroom. He did some math and he started counting up the case counts in every single month that had a case in Middlesex, London. And he got that total. And then he looked at December right now, and he figured that if we were at 98 new cases of COVID-19 or higher today, we would have as many COVID-19 cases in the month of December in Middlesex, London, than we have had in every other month of the pandemic combined. That's not a great stat to close out 2020, but it's indicative of things. It is certainly something that we need to focus in on. And we're lucky enough right now to have with us the Associate Medical Officer of Health with the Middlesex London Health Unit to begin the show, Dr. Alex Summers. Dr. Summers, I have to be honest with you, I haven't looked at the Middlesex London Health Unit dashboard yet, but yesterday Matt Trevithick did that math that we just outlined is the number of new cases for today over 98? Over 98, indeed. Sadly, uh, we finish our year with our highest number of daily reported cases uh, since the beginning of this pandemic. Again, speaking to how significant transmission currently is in our community. When we started the month of December, we were down between 20 to 30 cases per day, even a bit lower shortly before that. Um, we're now cresting over 100. This lockdown is a necessary thing. It is a painful thing. It is a frustrating thing. But maintaining physical distance, keeping only to those with whom you live, is going to be so essential as we kick off 2021. Dr. Summers, let's try and understand the rise in case counts. What do we point to to see how different this month has been and how much greater, how much higher the numbers of new case counts have been compared with other times of this pandemic? What's happening? I think the explanation for the increase in transmission is going to be related to a few different things. One would certainly be that it is likely that people came together in indoor environments at a greater frequency over the last month than they may have previously. A second reason is that uh, the amount of transmission from elsewhere in the province made its way here to the Middlesex London region and arrived around the same time that potentially people were congregating indoors more than they had previously. The other thing that we've also seen with this pandemic is that you do hit a level of transmission where things tip over into almost exponential growth. You can have periods of time where you go for a long time with low level of transmission. You might even see some gradual incline, but eventually it's almost like things get saturated to a point where it takes off like a rocket. And I think we have seen that also happen in our region in the last month. Dr. Alex Summers with us from the Middlesex London Health Unit. As we look at the end of 2020 and we all hope for a better 2021, 
If we're talking about the case counts and, and trying to keep them low, have we learned anything more about the transmission of this virus that may help us as we all have to be inside? Because you know what? It tends to be a little bit below zero, and it's going to be a whole lot more below zero as 2021 begins. The lessons that we continue to learn about COVID and this virus are truly at this point emphasizing things we already know. This virus is highly infectious between people when they're in close contact with one another. We know that, we've seen it. And so the solution to disrupting transmission, unfortunately, isn't any more radical than what we've been talking about for the last many months. You need to keep distance between those and others in terms of maintain contact only with those in your household, only with those with whom you live. If you are beginning to have indoor contact, unprotected, unmasked, or close contact with people who aren't in your household, you increase the probability that you're coming into contact with someone who becomes a case. And as that probability increases, we start to see the rampant transmission. There's no rocket science here, unfortunately. This virus is an infectious disease that's highly infectious. It's respiratory transmitted. And if you are in close contact with many people, the probability that you're going to catch it goes up. Dr. Summers, we know that vaccines have arrived. We know that they have been used in London, and that gives everybody a whole lot of hope. But let's face it, we've seen very few put into arms so far, and that can be expected. Overall, what are we seeing from the system as it exists right now in terms of getting vaccines to this area and getting people vaccinated? How's it going? I think the amount of uh, logistical efforts to rapidly ramp up a vaccine program of this magnitude uh, can't be uh, underestimated. However, we now sit with a mass vaccination clinic up and running at the Western Acroplex. Uh, thanks to uh, partnerships uh, amongst the health sector here in our region. Our major limitation at the moment is actual vaccine product, uh, which we continue to anticipate to see more of over the next number of months. Um, And as we see more vaccine coming into our region, uh, we'll begin to see more and more ramp up for options for delivery. As we stand right now, the vaccine is currently, as dictated by the province, being prioritized for staff of congregate settings that care for seniors. So things like long-term care homes and high-risk retirement homes. Those people are being contacted uh, routinely and being asked to schedule an appointment. Those are the only people at the moment for whom that vaccine is available. And again, our major limitation right now is the amount of vaccine that we have. Plus, as a reminder, we went from two weeks ago not knowing we were going to get vaccines and now having vaccine and ramping up uh, to having it delivered into arms. One of the concerns that's been expressed today has been that the vaccine from Pfizer has a shelf life before it becomes unstable. Uh, What can you tell us so that we can kind of understand shelf life and instability of a vaccine? Do we know how long we have to get this in? And and what if a vaccine becomes unstable? I mean, I don't want to hear that the province is throwing things out. Nobody does. Could that be a thing? I don't think that that's going to be a thing, Mike. The virus, sorry, the vaccine that's been developed by Pfizer is, uh, relatively speaking to some other vaccines, 
uh, relatively unstable, requires some intensive uh, focus and care. That's why it has to be kept at such cold, cold temperatures, which makes it a bit of a challenging vaccine to distribute widely. But it still has months of shelf life available when it's frozen. And frankly, when we get it, it's out the door and will be out the door within a matter of weeks or less once we get up and rolling at our full capacity. So I'm not that concerned at all that this vaccine is going to be gone to waste in any significant way. One of the other key things is because this is such a scarce resource right now, right? We do not have that much of it. The whole world doesn't have that much of it yet. We're tracking it and under direction from the province to track it very closely. So certainly the objective is to not waste one ounce of this precious, precious commodity. Okay. Well, thank you for giving us a great big phew. That that feels good. Dr. Alex Summers joining us from the Middlesex London Health Unit. Dr. Summers, one last thing, and that is as we get up and running, do we have any projections as to how many people could be vaccinated in a day? Let's say if you had the dream world of saying, okay, just give us this many and we can get them in. Is there a number like that? We're, I think, in the early stages of knowing exactly what that number can and should be. Once we get fully up and running as a region, our vaccine distribution model will look a lot like what the flu vaccine rollout looks like every fall, where pharmacies give it, family docs give it, nurse practitioners, public health, where you've got a whole bunch of people giving that vaccine. In Ontario, every fall, we give over 5 million doses of the influenza vaccine, over a number of months, we, I anticipate, will see even more vaccine being given at a greater frequency once we're able to fully operationalize the vaccine distribution model in this province. Again, the major limitation right now is we only have access to so much vaccine and that vaccine is a bit of a bear to distribute because it requires such freezing temperatures for storage. That's going to change over time. And uh, I think eventually we'll have a better sense of how many needles are going into arms on any given day. Dr. Summers, we're closing out 2020. It's a year everybody wants to see the tail end of and see it in the rearview mirror. Anything you want to add before we close out 2020? I think hopefully I can add a word of optimism that 2021 is going to start in a relatively uh, dark place when we look at the case counts that we're seeing, but it's going to end in a much better place, certainly from a pandemic perspective. And I think it is over the last number of weeks and months that even though we're truly in the deepest part of the pandemic, that we are also hopefully in the early parts of the most hopeful side of it. The vaccine is here. We know it will get into arms, and we know that 2021 will end very differently than it started. And for that, I think we can give a little bit of thanks. There's another few. There's another yes. There's another reason to cheer. All right, well, we'll keep putting one foot in front of the other. Let's keep doing what we're supposed to do. Dr. Summers, thank you to you and Dr. Mackey and to Beth Milne and Dan Flaherty and everybody at the Middlesex London Health Unit for all of your hard work. You basically have been doing round the clock since this whole thing started, and uh, that certainly doesn't go unnoticed by the City of London or the County of Middlesex. Thank you for that. Have a great start, a quiet start, but a great start to 2021. And I hope we're talking about a lot more positive things and maybe even health concerns by this time next year that have nothing to do with the word pandemic or certainly the description of COVID-19. Let's hope. Let's hope. Yes. Happy New Year to you, too. And thank you. Happy New Year. That 
is the Associate Medical Officer of Health with the Middlesex London Health Unit, Dr. Alex Summers. So a couple of fews in there, but at the same time, a worrying thing. A case count, and I have looked at the dashboard right now, 120 for today. And we don't want exponential growth. We're seeing large growth. We don't want exponential growth. We don't want to hear that surgeries are having elective surgeries or having to be postponed. We don't don't want to hear any of that stuff. We want the Western Fair location to be a place where people are being vaccinated, not a place where patients are being taken. Let's talk, before we get to hockey, let's talk Ford Phillips and maybe a little NFL football because it is quite a time to be, say, an Ontario finance minister or an NFL quarterback. Ryan Fitzpatrick, Fitzmagic, will not be available to Miami this weekend because he's on the COVID list. The L.A. Rams, who really need a win, will be going with somebody named John Wolford. And Ontario has made a switch not on the football field, but in the finance minister position, Peter Bethlenfalvy is going to take over because the resignation has come in for Ontario Finance Minister Rod Phillips following his trip to St. Bart's with his wife. Let's begin there as we welcome in Greg Brady from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Uh, Greg, I've never been to St. Bart's. You've been to St. Bart's. I hear it's nice. No, no. Uh, by the way, the uh, the new finance minister, Mike, the interim finance minister, his name sounds like a backup quarterback. You'd be like, who's backing up Tony Romo this year? And then when Tony Romo separates his shoulder, you find out. And then you are more more than familiar. But that sounds like a seventh-round pick out of Wyoming, and you're like, I didn't even know he was on the roster. But that's good. Peter Bethlenfalvy taking over under that's center. Right. He's backing well, up, backing up Dieter Brock in Hamilton. That's really old reference. That's a really that's way too old for CFL. I should have done something a lot, you know. Anthony but no, he, a little more problem. He's stepping. <laughs> he's stepping in, and the, the offensive line in front of him probably looks a little like the Cincinnati Bengals. I mean, you know, we we had the number one overall pick in the NFL draft running for his life and making plays for a long period of time before well, well, he was finally I, I hit hard enough up. to wreck his knee. Yeah, you bring that up, and I do wonder, and, and I use the analogy this morning on my show. I said, it, I, I do wonder if this if this also is meant, Mike, not only as, as punishment for the optics of the trip and, and the deceptive and the, and the duplicitous nature of the, of the social media account. I do think that was a huge, huge problem to leave that trail of breadcrumbs with the pitchers and the, fi- and the fireside eggnog meant to appear like it's Christmas Eve. And I know, you and I know in this business, right, you know, interviews are taped, things that are perceived to be lot, but, but it's not done nefariously. It's done to, per, you know, prevent, per, present the best show on television and radio. So, you know, there's some theater of the mind involved with a lot of front-facing things. But I, but I wondered about this, and I thought, you know, in two and a half years, the Conservative Party, and I give Doug Ford a lot of credit for this, I, I don't think there's been a lot of fraying at the uh, at the edges for that particular government. I do not think there's been dissension within the ranks. We actually saw it maybe for the first time about three months ago with this weird story with Charles McVitie. Like, you're like, why is Doug Ford in the middle of a pandemic going to the wall to try and get this guy's, you know, right-wing Christian evangelical, you know, college? What, what, why does he want university status to give out, you know, bachelor degrees like you and I would get at, at Western? Why is that? And so 
I think there were members of the party really uncomfortable with it. But then I think about this and I think there have to be backbenchers or people with other cabinet posts that say, you know what? I'm angry with Rod Phillips. I'm upset here. I want accountability. It's one thing not to punish, you know, Sam Oosterhoff, who's sort of, you know, your your carbon copy young MPP. Um, and, and, and so he's who's actually flouted a lot of the regulations and, uh, and requirements that a lot of the rest of us have followed. But it's another thing when it's your finance minister, Mike. And I think there's a lot of people maybe similar to how, you know, if a quarterback isn't playing well for your team and he's terrible, you can't keep him in because you drafted him high and you can't keep him in because you're paying him a lot of money. Eventually, you got to send him to the sidelines. And I wonder if Doug Ford did this today to keep some element of, of peace and harmony and support and approval and a lack of dissension within the conservative party ranks because they're dealing with a lot of stuff right now. Some would say, well, others would say not so much. I, I, I do wonder if this needed to be done more internally than externally. We're talking with Greg Brady from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Let's pick on then what would be the general manager or the head coach of the province of Ontario in the Premier. And, and let's look at this because, you know, it, it didn't seem to be a story until it was a story. It didn't seem to be a concern until the public was angry. That sort of thing happens in politics all the time, but we're paying really close attention to politics right now. What do you make of the way the Premier handled this? Well, there's an element that is disappointing. I, uh, no doubt about it. And I'm sure, um, you know, it's the easiest thing to say, well, no one's more disappointed than me than myself. Rod Phillips said that today when he got back to Pearson Airport. But I would, I would say this. I, I, I adamantly thought, based on the, the statement that Ford put out on Tuesday, it's hard to keep your days straight, but this is Thursday, and that was Tuesday night, where uh, all of a sudden it became a matter of urgency to get him back. I am taking Ford at face value, and I don't think I'm being a sucker here, but I think it was an underdog bet on Tuesday night to say that he didn't know about the trip in advance. I believe that adamantly now based on these, the, these developments today because I'm assuming there'd be an email trail, and I'm assuming there'd be staff for both men uh, and, and, and obviously other cabinet members and, and, and other, uh, other MPPs that would have known the scenario. I, I, I do think Ford found out very early days. I've got a cabinet, I've got a cabinet minister in a critical post as we're about to lock down the province that isn't in the country right now. So it's not a great feeling, I'm sure. And I think there's an element of betrayal that probably led to this immediate decision. I was thinking this might take two weeks. I didn't think it would take more than two weeks. I said that this morning. The fact that it's we're talking about it now and it's not 2 p.m. Eastern time yet, tells me that Ford felt betrayed, which means he didn't sign off on this. Now, is he still the finance minister, Mike? Is Rod Phillips still the province's finance minister if he comes back and this is not revealed and no one knows he was away or no one says publicly he was away? Yes, he is. And that creates an entirely different uh, issue. That said, you nailed it. Uh, It happens in politics all the time. Had, you know, had, had things been played a little bit differently in the summer, Bill Morneau is still Canada's finance minister. So, it, we, you know, it's, the shoe was on the other side of the foot for Justin Trudeau and the federal liberals, and they had no choice. Did Trudeau know things that he probably should have been more um, forthcoming about? Were there ethics issues that, that the prime minister was going through? Absolutely. Is it somewhat lacking ethics for Doug Ford? to stand in front of the province, lock the province down on the 21st, knowing his finance minister is on an island somewhere, and he did know by that time? 
Absolutely it is. And Ford said that yesterday. So I don't take everything Doug Ford did at face value. He isn't going to resign. I do not believe this is going to cost him at the polls. And if anything, this lets conservative defenders say, and, and again, I, was, I, I liked a lot of what they did in the spring and summer. Okay, I'm trying to play it straight up the middle here and say they, they, they hit a lot of the right notes with the stages and where we were in the first five months of this pandemic. The last four Far less so, but it's been more difficult for every provincial government, every state government in the U.S. to make the right decisions. Yeah, we've got to remember, if you ask any government anywhere on the planet, they're all going to say, yeah, you know, we're we're where we are. Uh, We did some things right. We did some things wrong. Mm -hmm. We wish we could have a do-over. And I know we have to keep that in mind, absolutely. In all are, how interested are you to see what the, the public reaction to this is? The NDP was very quick to come out critically, uh, and that's their job. But mm-hmm. overall, the the public reaction to this? I think I think it's going to be one of approval for Ford that, that he did this. Now, there I've already heard from people who are, are playing that whataboutism game. Well, what about the federal liberals? What about them? We talked about them all summer. It was a massive story. A, a pound of flesh was paid by a very capable, very well-respected finance minister. The, you know, the similarities between the per- – like, you're not talking about somebody that was underqualified for the gig in cabinet. You're not talking about somebody that was involved in some kind of personal scandal of some sort, Steal, you know, stealing money, a sex scandal, nothing like that. Morneau's, uh, you know, Morneau had a financial implication to that particular scandal, um, and he was very sloppy about it. But I don't think anyone thought – uh, you know, it's it's not ro- he wasn't robbing the federal coffers with a ski mask. What I would look at and say is, I think people will look and say this this makes it a bit easier for them to say, see, we do make people accountable. People asking us about the health minister, Christine Elliott. Well, if if, if we didn't think she was doing her job, we would do exactly what we did to Rod Phillips, Marilee Fullerton, who is under tremendous fire as she should be. I think she's done a terrible job as the province's long-term care minister, both in tone and tactic. You can lay the first wave, Mike, at the at the doorstep of both the Ford government and the previous 15 years of liberal government, but you can't lay any part of the second wave there because everybody told them. They warned them. This was like, hey, aliens are going to invade us. No one's ready in the first three or four months. You clean it up a little bit. Hey, guess what? Aliens are going to invade us again. Then it's on you. Then you know, you know what's coming. You know there's a second wave coming in the fall. And that applies to testing. That applies to schools, which I do think has been a monumental win for the province. I do. I think getting kids back into school, keeping them as safe as they are, has been a huge win for Stephen Lecce and the conservatives. Is there COVID in schools? You're damn right there is. Stephen Lecce is not being honest when he says they're 99% COVID free, but I'm willing to take the, you know, the small victories where we have it. And it's allowed a lot of people to get back to work, keep their sanity. And it's been more important for the kids to be in school than at home. Should they be at home the next three weeks? Absolutely, they should be. And that probably will be the decision they make in the next three or four days is to keep elementary school kids home as well. I know you've been calling for that for a long time, even before it became a conversation at the provincial level. Greg Brady joining us, Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Okay, before we close out, I'm going to give you a choice here. You can pick one NFL game that you really, really want to watch this weekend. You could pick the Cardinals-Rams, because that's got playoff implications, basically win and you are in. Or you could grab that NFC East, either matchup, either Washington football team versus Philadelphia, or Giants-Cowboys. What are you most interested to see? The NFC East finally get a winner, or one of the win-and-you're-in matchups? Yeah, I think that night game, that Washington game at the link in uh, Philadelphia to see how Jalen Hurts is, 
to see who Washington starts after cutting Dwayne Haskins. Um, you know, it's, it's too bad. I mean, Buffalo's just sitting pretty, and I think understanding that they're still going to play some of their starters against the Miami Dolphins team that needs to win. Um, I know we've talked about the lack of, of just being able to dive right into sports. Uh, the NFL's had me the last three or four weeks. It, it really has. And, uh, and, yeah, the idea that a 7-9, and nine, you could have a 7-9 and nine Dallas Cowboys team hosting an 11-5 and five Tampa Bay team with Tom Brady next weekend, I'm in on that. I like, I like the concept of that, seeing what the spread would be and, and seeing if uh, Tampa Bay is actually uh, capable of going up to Dallas and beating a team that's won three straight. They'd be heavy favorites, but – there's a lot the NFL has uh, has in terms of grabbing me the last month or so. Well, here's just a, a note before we go. Uh, this is coming in from uh, Rumor Mill du Jour. Uh, it says Peter Betlin Falvey may actually be under center for the Washington football team. <laughs> or, uh, looking for somebody. Can he, uh, can he outplay Jalen Hurts? See, if Jalen Hurts was the new finance minister, I'd be like, I don't know. I'm not sure he spent that rookie bonus responsibly in the offseason. I'm not sure. <laughs> Greg, happy new year to you and your family, to Rachel and the kids. Thanks so much for this and uh, keep safe. And we'll talk again in a different year. Oh, my great play. By the way, I may be uh, leading into you next week between nine and noon in Hamilton, London. So I'm letting you know that yeah, I, we probably hadn't talked about that, but uh, I'm handling the, the steering wheel for that show for the Bill Kelly show next week between nine and 12. So there you have it. Amazing. We will hear Greg Brady for three hours between 9 and noon all next week. Look forward to it. Thanks, buddy. Happy New Year. Okay. Happy New Year. That's Greg Brady from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. And I wouldn't believe rumor mill du jour. They're they're not very accurate. I'm not sure that Peter Bethlen Falvey is going to be at quarterback for the Washington football team. That being said, Dwayne Haskins will not be. And Alex Smith, who nearly lost his leg and his life, Check out that story. If you're looking for something to do on New Year's Eve, it is kind of uplifting. I think there's a 30 and 30 on it. There have been a few that have chronicled what he went through, suffering a broken leg and making it back. Now he's got a calf injury, and whether or not he plays is still up in the air. They just didn't want Dwayne Haskins anywhere around the team. That guy... That guy's going to look back. Michael Strahan said it on the weekend, and he was absolutely right. There are guys who don't realize that making the NFL is not playing in the NFL. And that can go to any part of life. Making it to where you want to get to is not being there. They're two very different things. You can make it somewhere and still not be there because you have to do the work while you're there in order to to keep that post, in order to keep that position. And you could just see it in his eyes how sad Michael Strahan was that a guy like Dwayne Haskins, quarterback with all kinds of skill, may be sitting on his couch, as Strahan pointed out, watching other people do what he knows he could do probably better. But his time just wasn't used properly. He didn't appreciate it. He didn't do what he had to do. And that time's over. There is a new poll out from Ipsos, and it kind of reminds me of a certain story that you may have read to the kids or the grandkids, and part of it says they're just waking up. I know just what they'll do. Their mouths will hang open a minute or two, and then the who's down in Whoville will all cry, boo-hoo. That's a noise that I simply must hear. 
And then the Grinch paused and put a hand to his ear, and he did hear a sound rising over the snow. It started in low, and it started to grow, but this sound wasn't sad. Why, this sound sounded glad. Every who down in Whoville, the tall and the small, was singing without any presence at all. Well, you know what? No one would blame us if we cried boo-hoo to end this year. This has been a tough year. And I don't make light of that. This has been a tough year. But Ipsos has polled Canadians. And Ipsos has found that Canadians are not crying boo-hoo. In fact, as we talk with the CEO of Ipsos now, Daryl Bricker, Daryl, what did you find in terms of how Canadians are feeling going into 2021? Well, three-quarters of us are actually pretty optimistic. Uh, But I, I will say that it is contingent on whether or not we're able to deal with uh, COVID early or late in the year. Gotcha. Okay, so definitely a little caveat in all of this, which certainly makes sense. What did you aim to find out as we end 2020 and begin 2021 in this poll? Well, we do this uh, a poll like this every year just to see what uh, people are thinking as we go into the new year. And we, uh, you know, through an unprecedented year, what was going to be the effect And what you see is that people, you know, in spite of everything that we've been through, are reasonably optimistic about uh, how the the next year is going to transpire. But as 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 I said, I mean, it's very much contingent on the on us winning the fight that we're uh, that we're trying to fight right now. You asked the question about whether Canadians think COVID nineteen will be controlled by the end of twenty twenty one. How high was that number? 70% 70% of us say that it'll be over. Uh, we'll, be, we'll have things under control by the end of uh, end of 2021. But 58% of us, so pretty strong majority, think that we'll have uh, have uh, wrestled it to the ground by uh, the summertime. Okay, and then we can all start thinking if if those 58% end up being right about what it is that we want to do. Um, mm-hmm. There are activities that are not permitted now that we haven't done in a long time, like traveling like going to a concert staying in a hotel going to a live sporting event what did you find there in terms of what canadians are really looking forward to doing if they are permitted well they're looking forward to all of that but the ones that they're most comfortable doing or will be most comfortable doing earlier are going to a mall or uh or uh sitting down in an in an Indian restaurant and, and enjoying a meal all of the other things that you mentioned, going to a concert, um, going to a live sporting event, traveling outside of the country, getting on an airplane and moving around, those things we're still very nervous about. Hmm. Really? Okay. And I guess that certainly makes sense. In terms of when you looked at, at many of, you know, what what is or much of what is going on and and the kind of activities that we're doing um working from home has been a big story from 2020 what did you aim to find out about working from home well first of all i wanted to get some sense of what what percentage of people are actually working from home and and the number is not as big as we i think a lot of the the reporting would suggest it's only about 20 percent of the, the people that we interviewed actually said that they're working from home and we need to keep that in mind um, because it's, we're, we are talking about a minority of the, of the population. But of those people that are working at home, about half of them are actually reluctant to go back to the office. Uh, and not necessarily just because they're worried about the, the potential exposure if they go back into that working environment, but quite a few of us, in fact, 78% of us, actually said that we enjoyed working from home. Interesting. Well, 
It's been a different year. It's been a difficult year, and it's a year that we're going to compare to a lot of other years to come, that's for sure. Daryl, thank you so much for the research you've done throughout the year. Keep safe and have a very happy 2021. Same to you, Mike, and same to all your listeners. That's Daryl Bricker, CEO of Ipsos. So Canadians, should we get the caveat of getting out of this pandemic, are pretty optimistic about what 2021 will bring to the tune of 72% of Canadians feeling optimistic about this next year. It's going to start slow, uh, just kind of like that noise that the Grinch was hearing from down in Whoville, but it hopefully will have an opportunity to be a whole lot stronger and a whole lot better than what we have seen. You've been listening to the London Live Podcast. Catch the show live on weekdays from 1 to 3. 